0: I'm Gudgin, I'm Research Associate at the Centre for Business Research in the Judge Business School, University of Cambridge.
1: Graham, thanks for talking to the Centre for Business Research podcast series today. We're looking at the post-Brexit options for the UK. We're going to talk about your blog on a critique of Treasury estimates of the impact of Brexit. Why do we need this paper?
0: The key reason is that there are very large numbers of people in this country who think that Brexit will be very damaging for the UK economy, there are remainers. But this is a very important issue in Scotland and in Northern Ireland, for instance, where perhaps the majority of people feel that this this Brexit is going to be damaging. Now the question is, where do they get that information from? How do they know it's going to be damaging? Now, for some people it's a gut feeling, but for an awful lot of people they've been heavily influenced by the fact that the Treasury, the OECD, the IMF and many others did big studies on this during the referendum campaign and uniformly said it was going to be damaging. They nearly all use the same techniques so what we've done is go back over the techniques to see how reliable they are and see whether whether this is reliable. The other thing to say about this of course is that the negotiations which are just about to begin between the UK and the EU on the UK leaving will be highly coloured by what the negotiators believe will happen. If the UK negotiators, for instance, believe that World Trade Organisation rules will be very damaging, then they presumably try very hard to avoid that. But if, on the other hand, they thought it wasn't very damaging, then they might not try as hard. They'd have more options. So these studies, which were done during the referendum, are still very relevant and will remain relevant, I think, for a number of years yet.
1: The studies have been discredited because there hasn't been an economic collapse. And whether you're David Cameron, the former Prime Minister, or the former Chancellor, George Osborne they have been taken to task for the Treasury forecasts but how did you go about constructing a new economic model post-Brexit?
0: Yeah, The first thing to say about the forecasts are that there were two different forecasts and in the Treasury case two completely separate reports done a month apart one was on the short-term impact and it's that that's been discredited they said there would be an immediate recession lots of problems And now, nine months later, we we know that hasn't happened. So economists have once again got egg on their face over forecasts. But there were separate forecasts for what's called the long-term impact, for what actually happens to trade and therefore the economy after we actually leave the EU in 2019. And it's that which hasn't been discredited and which, which is still widely believed. And almost any day of the week in the press or television, radio, you can hear people say that this will be disastrous for the UK economy. And virtually nobody asks them how they know it'll be disastrous. Well, what evidence is this based on? Because there's no way in which they can understand these studies. They're far too technical. So it's, it's it's down to people like ourselves to look at the technical aspects and see whether they are reliable. And to do that, we've had to build a whole trade model, a gravity model, as it's called in the jargon. It's called gravity model because the amount of trade between two countries depends on the sizes of their economy and inversely on the distance apart that the two countries are and we've had to build that this is a huge job because there are about 120 countries in the world and if you're looking at the trade of all 120 with in each case with the other 119 you're getting on for a million observations and even spreadsheets and so on can't handle this amount of data it needs like specialist software to to handle it we've done that researchers in the centre for business research but with colleagues in ulster university have been very good on, on the data side. But it's been a big job, but as they say, someone has to do it.
1: You've got a name for your model and you've looked separately at trade.
0: We do have a macroeconomic model that we just call UK mod, just for short. But this is something quite separate and, and additional. And the reason we got into this work was that in doing our macroeconomic forecasts that we do each year, we had to say something about the impact of Brexit. Now what most people are doing is just lifting the Treasury estimates and putting them into their model. But they didn't seem plausible to us. For instance, the Treasury says there will be something like a 45% fall in trading goods with the EU if we leave and revert to World Trade Organization rules. Well, the, the average tariff is about 4%. You know, and, you say, and we've already had a 12% depreciation of, of sterling. And you think, why on earth would that lead to Losing almost half our goods rate didn't seem to us to be plausible. We got into the rather huge task of building this new gravity model. Perhaps if we didn't know how much work it was, we might might not have done it, but we have anyway.
1: Well, let's have a look at goods. That's what your models looked at. How does your model differ from the Treasury model when it comes to goods?
0: We've tried to replicate the Treasury model, and we we have done, and we can get their result. So that, that was stage one, in a sense. We did try Centre of Business Research working paper a few months ago to do a, a smaller sample because the data requirements are so large here. We have now moved to doing the whole 120 countries, looking at this over 65 years, in, as I say, an enormous amount of data, and replicated what the Treasury did. That's the first thing, that there's no very little difference, hardly any difference between what we've done and the Treasury. And then we vary it. We look at sub-samples of the data or, or we look at different periods. But the key thing we do is we look at the UK specifically, which the Treasury never did. The Treasury just looked at an average, what's the average impact on trade of being an EU member? And that's an average impact over the whole 28 members. And it seems they didn't think to look at whether this actually applies to the UK. And when you look at that, it looks so it doesn't. The UK does a lot less trade than with the rest of the EU than the EU countries do themselves, presumably because of our different history and our different geography.
1: And there was a significant percentage difference with the goods, wasn't there, looking at the UK only? Very much
0: so, yes. You halve the effect or less. So instead of saying we lose 45% of our goods trade with the EU and we leave, we think perhaps it's 20% or less. And even that's a guess, of course, because no one's ever left the EU. And the gains you get by joining aren't necessarily reversed because companies have built up distribution networks and they've, they've invested in, in their brands, you know, selling Mars bars to Germans or, or, or whatever it is. We just don't know but we're fairly confident that the, the Treasury was really way at the top end of, of estimates of this impact.
1: Small trade flows, they're not as significant as the Treasury predicts. What happens to the model if you remove them?
0: It is quite important, yes, with something like half a million data points on trade. The majority of those are very small amounts of trade between very small countries, you know, sort of trade between Burkina Faso and Guyana or Angola and Nicaragua and, and this sort of thing. But all that goes into the estimate. You estimate an underlying relationship between trade, GDP and distance, and then you look at the specific trade between EU members and see whether that's greater or smaller than, than you'd expect from the underlying relationship. And you always find it's greater, as we might expect. These are, by and large, large, well-developed countries. and they do, they do a lot of trade. There's no tariffs between them. That's how you do it. But, of course, in measuring that impact, it very much depends on the underlying relationship. And if that underlying relationship has taken in a lot of very minor trade flows, a lot of these trade flows, for instance, are less than $1 million a year. I mean, that's nothing. Therefore, one of the things we've done is look at different samples. For instance, we looked at a sample of the top 60 UK export destinations, so 60 countries with which the UK does most of its trade. And in fact, those 60 countries account for close to 100% of the UK's exports, and they include all the EU 28 countries. And that gives you a different result. If we do this just for the EU 28 countries, it gives you a different result again, and, and so on. So which is the right way of doing this? Well, economists argue about this, and they argue about a lot of technicalities in this gravity modelling. But different approaches, different samples, different time periods tend to give you different results, and therefore it's not a very good guide really, to what will happen. Now, none of that appeared in the Treasury report. Indeed, the equation that the Treasury estimated doesn't actually appear in their their report. We've asked them several times to let us have the equation. they have never agreed to do that. To us, this is a matter of public policy. It's important for the UK. The public has got a right to know how this was done, and the Treasury just aren't telling us, I'm afraid.
1: Economists are known, indeed they're renowned for not agreeing, are your models more accurate than the Treasury, or does the Treasury come out on top?
0: Treasury itself doesn't do macroeconomic forecasting anymore. It's been sort of hived off to something called the Office for Budget Responsibility. But it's still the the old Treasury model and some of the modellers. But it's, it's, it's independent in, in the sense that it can say what it wants. But yes, I I think our macroeconomic forecasts are more accurate. Ours is a relatively new model, fairly Keynesian. But the forecasts we did for 2016 last year, which were published at the end of 2015, were, as far as we could see, better than all of the other forecasters. And the Treasury has a list of these, about 38 different forecasts, and ours seem to be more accurate. Well, you can be lucky in one year. So w- w- one, one year is not definitive in this, but it looks it looks fairly good. But the thing we can say about the OBR is that there's a very odd thing about their model and their forecast, which economic commentators never seem to pick up on. And that is that the GDP forecasts are really an assumption about productivity, almost nothing else. So you say, look, actually, productivity in the UK has grown very little over the last 10 years, but they, the OBR are always assume that it'll start growing much faster next year, come back to a pre-banking crisis norm. And that assumption is, is just their GDP forecast, and then everything else in the model has to, uh, has to fit that. Well, we can say, and I think economic journalist correspondents should be saying, well, that's one assumption, okay, for, uh, fair enough, you can argue that, but there are lots of other assumptions you can, can make. So here's a whole range of possibilities. But the OBR forecasts aren't treated that way. They're treated as a sort of gold standard. And sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there watching the BBC news and scratching my head. but. People who seem to assume that their forecasts are actually a fact that this is going to happen. There's a lot of oddity ab- about this which really ought to be exposed. You know, I, th- I think there's a lot of slackness. In, perhaps in the, in the reporting about this, what the OBR do is legitimate in its sense, as long as we know clearly what, what it is. But very few people do know that.
1: But if we're looking at the loss of trade on Brexit to the UK, you also have to look at the fall in sterling the increase in food prices, Marmite for example. What impact is the fall in sterling going to have Because it is going to push prices
0: up. Certainly push prices up, yes. We've had something like somewhere between 10 and 15% depreciation of sterling against the average basket of currencies. And that is pushing up prices, and it will do so. In our model, we think consumer price inflation will peak at something over 4%. It was 5% after the banking crisis, when again sterling, in that case, fell by twice as much, fell by 25%. This isn't something outside any recent experience, but there will be more inflation. And one of the imponderables, one of the difficult things to forecast here is the extent to which wages will keep up with inflation. If you assume, assume wages won't keep up with inflation, then people's purchasing power will, will suffer. They'll, they'll buy less and that will have a, a damaging, depressing effect on the economy as a whole. But if wages can keep up, then that won't happen. Those are the sort of issues that we really need to debate and make clear for the public, and there are genuine, I think, uncertainties about this.
1: And productivity. What happens to productivity? You've looked at it, but not in as much detail. Is that right?
0: We haven't. This, again, is a big failing of the economics discipline, I think. The fact that productivity has hardly risen in the last ten years is called the productivity puzzle. A so-called scientific discipline 200 years old, you know, to have a puzzle about something as as fundamental as productivity is, again, not very impressive, but indeed it is a puzzle. This wasn't expected. In our model we can predict this, but whether we fully understand it or not I, I wouldn't be too confident. But part of it is related to migration that over the last, I think, 15 years, we've created about 3 million extra jobs in the UK. This is something the current Conservative government and the coalition before it tends to crow about a a great deal. But that 3 million jobs has been associated with a rise of, equivalent to about 85% of that 3 million, rise in people born abroad. So as a country, what we've been doing is creating lots of jobs, largely filled by immigrants, and quite a high proportion of them at minimum wage, well, if you create a lot of new jobs at minimum wage, you can't really be too surprised that your, your productivity is not doing great. So we're doing a lot of things in this country that rich countries perhaps wouldn't naturally do in agriculture and food processing, you know, picking leeks. So well, if, if that's too labour intensive in a in a high wage economy, you just can't do it. You have to buy your leeks from Poland, not, not grow them here. Or you have to get some sort of mechanised vegetable picking. So you can see it's low wages and cheap labour actually depress productivity because there's no incentive to invest. Apparently, I'm told I've never seen this, but apparently there are machines that will pick strawberries.
1: We've got artificial intelligence on the horizon, but yeah. if you look at what is predicted to be a fall in migration flows, that's yeah. why the government led by Theresa May is supposed to be going for what is called a hard Brexit, and that hard Brexit is controversial. She's triggering Article 50 as we speak. Very historic moment. You actually say due to a fall in migration flows, GDP growth using your more Keynesian model could actually be higher than the Treasury forecast. You've actually got a longer or mid-term optimistic scenario for Brexit.
0: Yes, we have it in GDP per head. GDP itself, the actual size of the economy, we we think could fall for a number of years before it starts rising again. But if migration is also falling, then that GDP is is spread among fewer people. And GDP per head, per capita GDP, can be doing something quite different. And in our view, that won't fall and eventually will start to rise productivity will be higher so a lot depends on migration but then we don't really know what will happen to migration because the UK government will have more control over it but it's still in a situation where large parts of the NHS and the care service and lots of restaurants and food processing and so on are very dependent on particularly East European labour much of which is very efficient and one can quite understand why firms and organisations want to employ these people
1: and GDP growth by 2030 could be high again
0: yes the the level of GDP could be higher than it otherwise would have been yes our forecast is that actually GDP will probably remain higher than it otherwise would have been up until 2019 then it might take a dip and then starts to rise again the all in the depreciation of sterling is quite important here we've been running a big balance of payments deficit for years you know it's, it's really unsustainable, although we managed to sustain it for quite a long time. But this fall in sterling is a move to a more natural and sustainable level. It is and will continue to generate more exports, and that in itself will tend to make the economy grow faster. So that one thing in itself has really been quite helpful for economic growth and for economic sustainability.
1: And this new model, finally, you say you've used your intuition too. You, it was your intuition that led you to critically assess the Treasury and OBR forecasts. But you're, I come back to the word, optimistic about Brexit and the British economy on leaving the European Union. Yes, we we,
0: we are reasonably optimistic. I mean, partly because we've done this gravity model work, we think the the negative impact on trade will be distinctly less than the Treasury said. And when we feed that into our macroeconomic model with the lower exchange rate, we, we find that things don't look bad at all. I mean, even at the worst, you know, in the early years of the next decade, we think GDP would probably only be about 1% below what it otherwise would have been and will then grow to above. And as I said before, GDP per head will remain higher throughout. I think most people aren't going to notice much, here, despite the huge amount of what my Scottish mother would have called blether about Brexit, not least in Scotland itself, of course.
1: And so... If we put concerns about the price of Marmite to one side, as citizens of the UK, in two years' time, after they've worked out the deal for a hard Brexit, we will no longer be part of the European Union, which will go from 28 countries to 27. But in terms of our trade, then we are going to be able to form trade deals and have an economy that is healthy and growing. Is that right?
0: Yes, we'll be able to do our own trade deals. At present, the UK can't say anything about trade alone at all because all trade negotiations are now done by the EU. We have some representation on that, but so do another 27 countries. So, yes, we'll be able to form our own trade deals. But in many cases, it won't really matter. I mean, as people keep pointing out, the EU doesn't have a trade deal with the US and therefore the UK doesn't have a trade deal with the US. But the US is one of our biggest trading partners. We'll carry on trading. In the longer run, if we look ahead, I I think we we should look towards the the rising sun, as they say. We should look east. Countries like India, with which we don't do nearly as much trade as we should, partly because they have pretty high high tariffs themselves. Um, But we should work on that. English-speaking country, you know, with a a lot of historical ties with the UK. And one of the things that gets very little publicity in this is that if we go back to the point at which we joined the EU in 1973, and we joined it because we thought we were joining a fast-growing market. And the growth of that market slowed down almost you know, almost on the day we joined. But since nineteen seventy three, the Commonwealth markets on which we previously relied have actually grown faster than the EU markets. So in the long run we'd have perhaps been better to stay with the, the Commonwealth. And that's because of countries like India. In the long run, having the flexibility and freedom to you know focus in that direction I think will will do us some good. But there may be disruption in the short term. But
1: in the longer term, we're going to see a growth in GDP, a healthy growth. And it's not going to take too long for the economy to turn round, is that right? I think
0: that's right, yes. I think there will be some fall in GDP, but that, that really depends on migration. I mean, we're creating a lot of jobs with migrants and a lot of activity and you know, food processing and so on, that we may just not be able to do if we're facing tariffs. We may lose some of those activities, but, but a lot of the jobs lost will be jobs that are currently taken by migrants. Therefore, the impact on the wider economy will be fairly minor. Let's see. But I think if the, if the economics profession is wrong about this, again, I mean, as we were saying earlier in this podcast, we know that the economic forecasts have been wrong in the short-term impact of Brexit. If they're also wrong about the, the long-term impact, I think there are big questions about economics and economic forecasting, never mind Brexit, you know, there's a lot to be sorted out here.
1: Message to the Treasury?
0: I have heard through the grapevine that one or two very senior civil servants really thought this wasn't the sort of thing the Treasury should be doing at all. They're not an academic organisation. They don't themselves do forecasting anymore. As we said, that's gone to the Office of Budget Responsibility now. Why was the Treasury doing this? Why wasn't there more consultation about it? Why haven't they been more open about their equations and their methods? These are all questions, I I think, which need to be answered or addressed.
1: Meanwhile, the Centre for Business Research and your own team Mm -hmm. have come up with your own economic Modelling. Graeme Gudgeon, thanks for talking to the Centre for Business Research podcast series today, looking at the post Brexit options for the UK, your paper and blog, a critique of Treasury estimates of the impact of Brexit. Thanks for talking to us.
0: Thank you very much, Manny.